Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And there was a caller who pointed out that every single piece of legislation, I mean, just some, some great bills that have been passed by the Democrats, I mean, very substantial pieces of legislation. They passed the American Dream and Promise Act to provide a pathway to citizenship for hardworking immigrants. They passed a package of bills to protect people's access to health care. They passed a bill to, to cut the price on prescription drugs. They passed a disaster relief bill, passed the Equality Act to uh, guarantee it to prevent discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. They passed a bill to restore net neutrality. They passed a Climate Action Now bill to protect our climate. They passed legislation to reauthorize and expand the Violence Against Women Act. They passed uh, legislation requiring background checks and on gun sales. They passed legislation to close the gender pay gap. They passed historic anti-corruption reform, H.R. 1, that would also harden our election systems against hacking from foreigners or even from people within the United States. All of these things went to the Senate, and all of them have been stopped dead by Mitch McConnell. Well, Mitch McConnell needs the debt ceiling to be raised. Donald Trump's tax cut threw our country into this year a $1 trillion deficit. We have a trillion dollar deficit this year because the tax cut gave, you know, a trillion dollars to the top one percent and so mcconnell needs something so what congressman pocan said was that senator schumer came over to the house to talk with members of the house caucus and he said let's play hardball let's tell mcconnell if you want us to vote on lifting the debt ceiling you're going to have to hold a vote on some of our legislation and, you know, specifying the things that they think are the, are the most important. I think that's pretty amazing. Number two, Donald Trump's son, Eric, said on Fox News last night that he's loving the Democrats being upset about Trump's racist language. He argued that it's playing right into Trump's hands and into the Republicans' hands more generally. So the question that I'm asking and I ask of you as well is, is it true the Democrats reacting to Trump's new radicalized version of the old Nixon era, love it or leave it. And I'm not sure that Nixon himself ever actually said that, but that was the, the popular bumper sticker during the Vietnam War era in the late 60s and early 70s was, you know, America, love it or leave it. it, it I, you know, this was the, the right wing meme. Is this going to lead to a massive shift among white and Hispanic voters toward the GOP? And I'll fill you in on the Hispanic voters part of that in just a moment. 
Or will Trump's racism finally backfire on the Republican Party 50 years after Nixon rolled out the Southern strategy? We asked this question this morning on Facebook and on Twitter and getting a lot of responses. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Over at Axios, they are pointing out that Trump knows that in 2016, he won the white vote by more than 20% nationwide. So what he's trying to do is crank out that white vote and raise it up to like 30% by activating white evangelicals, by making offensive racist comments, all this kind of stuff. This is a guy who watches Fox News and he knows that AOC and the squad are catnip to these old white voters. This is the phrase that, they're, that Mike Allen's using over at Axios, especially men. And then you've got AOC, who is both young and Hispanic and female and a democratic socialist. These are four bullet points that Trump has already said he intends to run against. He hasn't said he's going to run against women, but, you know, it's fairly obvious. And he thinks he did better than Mitt Romney among Hispanic voters because many of the people, many Hispanics, many people who are of Hispanic ancestry in this country, Central and South American ancestry, are two, three, four, five generations removed from immigration. And they're not feeling like some kind of group identity with people who are trying to get into the country, more concerned about their own jobs or they're heavily Catholic and they're concerned about abortion. I mean, they're, they have other concerns that are greater than their concern about people from Central and South America being able to enter the United States. And Trump is working very aggressively to activate those folks. And in fact, uh, Axios sat in on a focus group in Michigan where, now this is white swing voters, agreed with Trump on uh, immigration. And then Carlos Algara, he's a political scientist at UC Davis, said that white Democrats with high levels of racial resentment, white Democrats with high levels of racial resentment are likely to vote Republican. And so what Trump is doing is he's trying to get those white Democrats who have, who are basically racist. I mean, you know, racial resentment is a nice academic way of saying this. And to this end, Trump is now spending three times more than all the Democrats combined on Facebook ads that are heavily targeting basically these white, you know, racially resentful voters. And, you know, the bottom line, well, in fact, this is from the New York Times talking about the squad. He sees them as the perfect foil. He says, this is from the New York Times, Trump has told aides that he is pleased with the Democratic reaction to his attacks boasting that he is marrying Pelosi and the Democratic Party to the squad and that this is going to be his electoral strategy. I've shared this story a number of times on this show, but if you're just tuning in I'll, very quickly, years ago, Louise and I took a writing course from Robert McKee. Robert McKee is just a, a famous, famous, famous guy in, in Hollywood and screenwriting circles and, you know, taught all kinds of actors and screenwriters whose names you would recognize how to write. And the biggest thing that I learned from that weekend that, I, that Louise and I spent with Robert McKee was that your hero is not the character that really matters in the story. Now, of course, you have to have a well-drawn hero. But the most important character is not the good guy, it's the bad guy. Because the good guy can only be as good as the bad guy is bad. Think about that for a minute. If Lex Luthor was not written into Superman, if Superman didn't face an existential threat, somebody almost more powerful or arguably able to destroy him, 
then Superman comics would be incredibly boring. Oh, he stopped a bank robbery. Okay, he stopped a 7-Eleven from being robbed. So what? Right? Same thing with Batman. Batman, every Batman is a new super villain. The Bond movies, right? Goldfinger, right? I mean, just think about the Bond villains. It's always, the villain is what makes the good guy good. And so what Trump is doing here and Eric Trump was bragging about this on Fox News last night. And my question to you is, do you think it's going to work? What Trump is doing here is he is saying, these people are so evil and I alone can save you. That he is the great white hope. He is the savior of white people. That he's the one who's going to save us from, from women of color, one of whom calls herself a democratic socialist, maybe more. And therefore, vote for me. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that is working very, very well with the white racist base that is at the core of the Republican Party and, frankly, a lot of white racist Democrats. The bigger question is, will it be enough? Will Trump win on racism or not? I think this is an open question, frankly. I honestly don't know the answer to it. I know that, you know, Richard Nixon campaigned on racism. It was called the Southern Strategy, but he did it in a somewhat subtle way. Ronald Reagan, even a little more subtle, as Lee Atwater pointed out, you can't use the N-word anymore. You can't even talk about busing anymore, so you talk about tax cuts, and everybody knows you're talking about something that's going to hit people of color more than white people. But now Trump is doing it out in the open. Dean in Spanaway, Washington. Hey, Dean, what's on your mind? I think that all of this is to divert attention. The new abortion laws, socialism, ignorance, foreign interference, gerrymandering, voter suppression, stripping voter rolls, anything to divert attention away from efforts to have a good voter turnout. So you're talking ethics, you're talking about like he's got uh, you know, an oil lobbyist in charge of interior, he's got a coal lobbyist in charge, in charge of uh, the EPA, he's, he, he just put a Raytheon lobbyist in charge of the Defense Depart Department. I mean, it's just all pigs at the trough. He's got a, he's got a cabinet of billionaires who are you know, enriching themselves. Um, is that what you're talking about, Dean? Or is it no, I'm saying that to get elected, all of this is all things to help him get elected, diverting right. attention, right. the new abortion laws, everyone's going to be fighting and not paying attention to the election. Elections are one on the margins. Oh, and I'm also reading The Secret History of Guns in America's a great book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer. Okay, thank you. Dean, I just don't know. I mean, this is why I'm asking the question and I'm trying to get some feedback from you all because my sense of it is that racism has worked very, very well for Republicans in the past. The Willie Horton ads pretty much all by themselves got George Herbert Walker Bush elected president over Michael Dukakis in 1988. Um, it, it just, it worked. Um, the Southern strategy got Nixon elected and got him reelected back in 68 and 72. Uh, George W. Bush was not so explicit in using racism. He used war, which is just as demagogic. But, you know, I guess we'll see. Denise in Calumet Township, Michigan. Hey, Denise, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. It's good to talk to you. I'm kind of worried because my, Democrats, my Democratic friends, and I'm a lifelong Democrat, are starting to get, like, 
a little bit concerned about Nancy Pelosi. And my thoughts, and what they're trying to tell me is that Nancy is siding right now with the richer Democrats who are, like, from the old school, not the new, like, the squad people, you know, whatever, and that she's causing a divide in the Democratic Party and that she should just stop it and start the hearing. Well, the the so-called centrist Democrats, you know, I think the, the, the major distinguishing feature between them and the progressive Democrats is that they're willing to take money from corporations and they're willing to advocate for legislation that works to the benefit of corporations. And and whereas the progressives are not willing to do either of those two things. And but the fact of the matter is that probably 60, 70 percent of the Democratic Party falls into that category of so-called centrist. That is, you know, being, you know, corporate friendly. And it's changing and it's changing quite rapidly. And, you know, progressives are coming in and they're coming in a big way. But they don't yet control the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives. Yeah, and that's kind of making her look weak, I think, to, you know, I'm trying to tell people what you say, like she's she's counting votes, and I'm, you know, trying to yeah. Well, and she's passed a lot of really great legislation, a lot of very genuinely progressive legislation, although it's all gone to die in the House, you know, with Mitch right. McConnell. But, right. but uh, yeah, I, you know, so your your concern is that Nancy Pelosi is looking weak and by, by you know, coddling the, the, the centrist Democrats. On the other hand, the concern of, you know, the, the chattering class, all the commentators that you see on TV, is that the squad is, is pulling the Democratic Party to the left back to its LBJ and FDR foundations, and nobody really wants that. You know, that's too far left. You know, so here's these two competing narratives so right anyhow thank you thank you very much for that denise art in chicago hey art what's up hi it's not any more racist asking someone to go back to where they came from when they make it very clear they hate america they claim american people are all racist you know that's just like telling yeah, Art, you know, you're lying Art, you are Art, you are just lying you're flat out lying none Absolutely of these people have said wrong. they hate america none of them Name one, name one, no, Art, I get, you know, I get it that you listen to Fox News all the time and you think that shouting over people is the way to do it. And, and, but, you know, it's not, it's really not. And I'm willing to have a conversation with you, but I'm not going to try and shout over you. Please name one time that any Democratic member of Congress has said that they hate America. Name one time. Oh, he hung up. And now we have Donald Trump uh, revealing, I think, what's actually there's like so many different responses, right, possible to Trump's tweeting that people of color should, quote, go back to the countries that they came from. When, in fact, you know, with the with the exception of Ilhan Omar, they came from countries like Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, but uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez's ancestry is Puerto Rican. It's particularly bizarre when you consider that two out of three Trump wives were not born in the United States. But he's not saying that white people should go back to the countries they came from. He's not, you know, he's not suggesting that Melania should go back to the country she came from or that her parents who were recently naturalized should go back to the country they came from or that his son, Baron, who is a first generation descendant of an immigrant, his wife, Melania, should go back to the country he came from. I mean, it's just, you know, it's is bizarre. So how does this come about? You're listening to Tom Hartman. 
You know, we're this month uh, commemorating or uh, memorializing or, or remembering, I guess, you know, the, the, the anniversary of landing on the moon, something brought to us by technology. Well, now <laughs> there's a, a, a group of entrepreneurs who have put together the idea of focusing technology on how we sleep rather than getting to the moon. And frankly, I'm more interested in how I sleep than I am whether we get to the moon. And they, they've come up with this amazing thing. It's called the Pod. It's from a company called Eight Sleep, E-I-G-H-T Sleep. And it is the ultimate sleep machine. It's the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. You're looking to sleep deeper? The Pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. Want to know your sleep intel? Pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. Want to sleep better? They have personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you toward true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. Only at 8sleep, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. They've already sold out the first two batches. They're going fast for a limited time. You can get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash Tom. Well, in my opinion... America has always been essentially a racist country. We've had this melting pot story that we told ourselves, and we've really tried to embrace it in some ways over the years. And then sometimes we've really pulled back from that. In fact, most of the time we've kind of pulled back from it and really seen America more as an apartheid nation. Look at what we did with Native Americans after slaughtering 50 to 100 million of them. You know, we herded them into reservations and said, you stay there. And... Up until the 1950s, certainly with our public school system, actually until the 1960s, that's what we were doing with African-Americans. And frankly, we're back to it. But until recently, the overt racism in the modern era, you know, now, you know, let's acknowledge uh, President Wilson, and I think it was 1913 was the, he did the first showing of Birth of a Nation in the White House, Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat. And Birth of a Nation was a recruiting film for the Klan. You can watch it online. It's pretty shocking that a president of the United States would preview this movie in the White House. So, you know, we have this, you know, these deep racist roots in this country. But at least since the 1950s or 60s, basically, you know, in my lifetime and, and yours, however old you are, that was like, that's the past. And this is the president. We're trying to move forward. We're trying to actually make America a great melting pot and fulfill the ideal that is on the base of the Statue of Liberty. You know, send me your huddled masses, your tired, your poor, you know, yearning to breathe free. And, and we didn't basically discuss in polite company, and I put that in quotes, our racism. I'm not talking about so much our personal racism, although that wasn't discussed in polite company either, but even the conversation about racism in the United States. But what's happened now, and I think that social media has a lot to do with this, is that it has created a kind of hive mind. 
Now, there's actually a history to this. I mean, you know, we, we, if you go back before Gutenberg and the printing press, there was very little kind of national consensus anywhere about anything. And then books started getting published, and some people started sharing ideas with each other, and the hive mind started forming beyond just local clans and communities and tribes and thing, families and things like that. And then the newspaper, that was in the, you know, the, as I recall, 1500s, 1560, I think it was, Gutenberg. And then, you know, about 100 years later, printing press technology got pretty good, maybe 150 years later, and we started having newspapers, and that expanded the hive mind so everybody in the city could read, you know, what the, what the thought leaders said. And then in the 1920s, we got radio, and that expanded the hive mind. And then in the 1950s, we got television, and that expanded the hive mind. But it was always done in a way that had a certain patina glaze over the top of it of respectability and of, you know, w looking down on racism as... as uh, uh, as kind of lower class, as, as, you know, just, you don't talk about that in polite company, as I said earlier. But what has happened with the hive mind that has been created by social media is that immediately all this stuff, particularly social media that allows anonymity, is that social media now has brought out the racists, put them front and center, and you add to that the algorithms that, that media that, that social media uses and search engines use to feed you more of what you yourself have said. And so the racist who says something racist suddenly discovers that he's got, you know, a thousand other racists who are good buddies. And they start talking with each other and hanging out with each other, and it gets more and more open, and pretty soon you've got, you know, the phenomena of these various white nationalist uh, white supremacist groups out marching in the streets. And, and I think, frankly, that it makes it look like the racism that is out there is actually bigger than it is, or maybe it is this big. But my concern is that by amplifying it this way, having social media amplify these kinds of sentiments, particularly coming from anonymous people, that causes the unconverted. That is, the people who are sitting around going, you know, who have never really considered themselves racists or non-racists. And by the way, this doesn't just apply to racism. This applies to, to you know, homophobia and the whole anti-LGBT perspective. I think homophobia is still an umbrella word that encompasses all of that. Um, it applies to uh, religious bigotry. It applies, it, it, it applies to um, just, you know, this, the, the nativism. I mean, this whole spectrum of stuff, right? Misogyny and the whole spectrum of bigots, it's, it provides them with this platform for hate speech that grows. And so Trump steps into this space and says, look at this, I got 50 million followers. And, 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 and he, can, he, he looks at that and, and realizes that he can make flat-out racist statements. You know, go back to where you came from. Most black people, uh, many, most Hispanic people in the United States, most Asian people in the United States report, and there's now some actually good reporting coming out about this. There was, there, uh, actually there have been several of them just in the last like 24 hours. ProPublica just did a fascinating one. In fact, they did a long tweet about it, and I retweeted it saying this thread is really worth reading. 
um, finding that it's a, 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 a very, very common experience among people of color, right across the spectrum, Asian, Hispanic, African-American, to be told by white people, you know, go back to, go back to where you came from. Or, you know, go back to Africa, or go back to Mexico, or go back to, you know, China or whatever. And it's, it's you know, kids in school, I mean, it's, it's thrown around as a slur. So when Trump said this, he knew exactly what he was saying. He's been talking like this, obviously, you know, ever since his father was refusing to rent housing to, to African-Americans, uh, or broadly to people of color, um, in the Queens, or Bronx, or Brooklyn, or wherever he came from. I guess it was the, the whatever. Um, and here we are. And now Trump is saying that the women of color that he trashed, saying that they should go back to the asshole countries they came from, now he is tweeting this morning that they are the racists. Right? So not only is he saying not only is he making it okay for racist speech, but I mentioned the unconverted before. When he starts talking about countries run by people of color not working or being dysfunctional, most people understand that there are reasons why that is so often the case, and those reasons have to do with colonialism and racism. Not, you know, any bell curve stuff about inherent inferiority or superiority. But for somebody who's not well informed, for your typical junior high school kid or, or your typical, you know, low information voter, this stuff starts having an impact. And they start hearing this kind of rhetoric that Trump is using and thinking, huh, maybe there's something to this. And pretty soon they're out there on the streets chanting, go home, to people whose ancestors probably uh, came to the United States unwillingly in slave ships, you know, 200 years before their own ancestors, the white people saying, go homes. I mean, you know, Trump is only, his, his grandfather came to this country in the late 1800s to start a, a, a brothel up, in, uh, up on the West Coast. So... This is how this is, this is happening. You know, Edmund Burke is often quoted as saying that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men, was the phrase he used back then, to do nothing. And, you know, where is, uh, you know, Mitt Romney's uh, cousin, who, you know, uh, Rona McDaniel, Roman, Romney McDaniel, who runs the Republican National Committee, the, the head of the RNC, she has not said a word. Where are the Republican, where are the members of the Republican Party? None of them have said a word. You know, uh, the closest anybody got was, you know, one senator on Sunday TV saying, well, you know, Trump should really aim higher. Right? Good old Lindsey Graham. But that was it. He was one senator. I mean, this is just like the Republicans are completely mute about this. And I don't think it's because they're embarrassed. I think it's because they think that this is an electoral strategy that might win, and it might win big majorities for them in the House and the Senate as well as the White House. I really think that they're starting to buy into this belief that Trump has that to hell with the middle, don't need the middle. The middle is, uh, you know, as Jim Hightower said, the only thing in the middle of the road are, are dead armadillos and yellow stripes. To hell with the middle. The base, you know, about half of all Republican and Democratic base voters don't vote. So if you can get your base out, you can win elections. Valentino in Oak Park, Illinois. Hey, Valentino, what's up? I'm an immigrant from Italy. I have a green card. Mm -hmm. I called before and uh, 
and I had to adopt a girl from Guatemala. My mm-hmm. wife, she's an African-American, and I had to declare bankruptcy for a surgery that I had last winter. Oh, my. And I'm afraid to get deported. My daughter's afraid to get deported. My daughter, she's a citizen because she's adopted, and she already be called, go back at home, go back in your country. My wife, of course, is African-American. She's used to have this, deal with this incredible races that they race every day and now so, we are a family of multicultural and i'm afraid to get a, a ticket i'm afraid to have a speeding ticket because i had a green card well, it was not like that 20 years ago no. <laughs> I and mean, it, it wasn't like that tragic. three years ago Exactly, exactly. I, I would never have a fear to say, oh, my God, if the police stop me, there's something in my record, then I, I see knocking on my doors and I get deported. And my daughter, which is 17, my youngest one, they know that. They understand what this president say. And she, yesterday, she, I, I own a little antique restoration, a restaurant painting. Yesterday, she's come out work for me. And the first day, she was 17. And she told me, say, they David, that you're afraid to get be deported, I'd be devastated if it happened to you. Wow. This is a child, a 17 years old child that told me, that my child, and right. she get called at school. Are you a dreamer? Go back in your country. Not often, thank God, this, the town that we live is pretty liberal, pretty, pretty nice, but, you know, she's a beautiful brown Mayan looking girl, and mm. she's American. She's an American citizen. I adopted when she was six months old. And she had to deal with this every now. She had to face that. And my wife said he had to study harder because even my wife, she's a teacher. She's an English teacher in high school. She's an African-American. On the phone, she can have any credit because she speaks perfect English. She had red luck if she show up in person. They have a lot of problems. They don't give her the loan or they give a very bad loan. And right. This has happened. And, uh, and I'm afraid. I mean, I'm... I have a green card. I have a, uh, I have a letter from the bankruptcy thing, from the Justice Department. I scared. I said, what happened? Wow. They, they post a law and, and, and they they send me back home, which, I mean, it would be unfair. I, How I, long I, have you been here, Valentino? 20, 22 years. 22 years. And, you're, and I have my business for 22 years, and I'm right. afraid now the green card. like I never be before. Valentino, I got to run, but thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Wow. What is the impact of Trump sweeping Americans into his concentration camps? I mean, we've already figured out the impact of his sweeping asylum seekers, refugees, into his concentration camps. But it turns out that ICE is, I mean, this is bizarre. This is from New York Times, for example. Ms. Nutzi is a cheerful white woman who spent her childhood in Ocala, Florida, and had been an elementary school secretary in Gainesville for 20 years. Now, you get this. This is, she's not Hispanic. She's not black. This is a white woman, right? There's a lot of white people in America who are sitting around going, well, you know, it's a terrible thing that's going on there with those Hispanic people and, uh, you know, Donald Trump telling black women that they should go back to Africa and stuff like that. But um, I'm a white guy, so I got all this privilege and I'm not worried. This is a white woman. Let me start over. Today's New York Times. Ms. Nutzi is a cheerful white woman who spent her childhood in Ocala, Florida, and had been an elementary school and has been an elementary school secretary in Gainesville for 20 years. In 2016, she voted for Donald Trump and was ecstatic when he won. 
A year later, her driver's license expired. Now, you will recall now combined 9-11 hysteria and voter suppression. Now, when you get your driver's license uh, renewed, you have to, uh, you know, show up with your passport and your birth certificate and, and you know, uh, three letters from, from uh, whatever it may be. You know. So, Ms. Nutzi went to the motor vehicle agency to get a new driver's license. And for the first time in her life, officials did not accept her birth certificate. I called to get a new passport, she said, she told the New York Times, and they told me to go to immigration. But why should I go to immigration? I'm not an immigrant. Then I called Homeland Security, and the woman on the other end of the line started laughing at me. It proved nearly impossible for Ms. Nutzi to extract herself from the ice machine. Here's another one. Davina Watson is a U.S. citizen who is 23 years old when ICE held him for more than three years. A New Yorker, he was eventually dropped off in Alabama with no explanation and no money. After he was released, Mr. Watson filed a complaint and a court awarded him compensation in 2016. The next year, the government appealed and the next year an appeals court decided the statute of limitations for that complaint had expired while he was still in ICE custody. So they took his money away. U.S. citizens being held in the Trump detention and concentration camps. And not just U.S. citizens who look like they might have come from Mexico or who might have ancestors who came from Africa. U.S. citizens who, who might have ancestors who came from Germany or Spain. White people, are you listening? These people are out of control. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar. And look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Meanwhile, when they do release children from the ICE detention centers, this is what sometimes happens. And this is, you know, a pretty damn shocking story. This is from NBCSanDiego.com, NBC News TV station in San Diego. A, a teenage girl and her father were released from the ICE detention center in El Paso, Texas. They were released into the custody of a family in Iowa. Right? You can you can come out and say, "Hey, you know, I I, you know, send me some, you know, immigrants." Apparently. 
Reading from the news report from NBC San Diego, the couple, this is the couple who took in this teenage girl and her father. The couple locked the minor girl, quote, in a room with a metal bed and bucket for bodily waste. And the husband of the couple, his name is Francisco Nicholas, allegedly raped her as his wife, quote, watched it happen from the door to the locked room. The girl told Sioux City, Sioux City, Sioux City police officers that Francisco Nicholas raped her several times the following morning. This is the first day they got there, right? I, I sent them to this family, and this family, they, they raped the girl. The, the following morning, she was raped several times, and that she managed to escape while her rapist was at work and his wife was sleeping. The girl told investigators that she, quote, went looking for someone who spoke Spanish to help her. Police found her a short, term later, a short time later roaming the streets of Sioux City. Following the search of the couple's Sioux City home, police found three other Guatemalan citizens inside, as well as the girl's father. San Diego attorney, uh, immigration attorney Andrew Nitor said, and I quote, this administration's policies have instilled fear to go to law enforcement. I suspect that this type of horrific case happens much more frequently because victims are afraid to report crimes. He added, instead of an orderly process for refugees that would, that would include trying to find family members where they can reside, or detaining them close to family so they can at least have legal, find legal counsel, DHS is detaining and sending, sending them to remote facilities where there are no resources. Are you paying attention? Tucker Carlson last night on Fox News has, uh, you know, I attributed this quote to Tucker Carlson. I was in error. It was actually David Horowitz who, you know, was a guest on this program a couple of weeks ago until he hung up on me because, because I kept calling him out on his lies. Uh, David Horowitz, this is what David Horowitz said on the Tucker Carlson show. I'm thinking of this ignorant attack by Colin Kaepernick. Oh, black guy, of course. And Nike on the Betsy Ross flag, which really goes to the creation of America. The creation of America was probably the greatest gift to black people in 3,000 years because slavery was considered a normal institution for all those years. Well, actually, in large parts of Africa and among tribal people all over the world, indigenous people who lived all over the world, slavery was not part of their culture. I, uh, you know, in, in particular, there, there's an extraordinary movie called The Gods Must Be Crazy. This was made like 20 years ago, and it's about the San people, the Kung people is how they, how they say their names. And they're the, we used to call them the Bushmen of the Kalahari. In fact, there's a book called The Bushmen of the Kalahari. And it's an African tribe that lived in, in South Central Africa for, as far as anybody can tell, over 100,000 years. And it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful insight into their culture. If you haven't seen The Gods Must Be Crazy, uh, I don't know if it's on Netflix or Amazon or where you find it. I, you know, uh, I rewatched it again, you know, maybe four or five years ago. But you know, there were large chunks of Africa there was no slavery, but not according to David Horowitz. Anyhow, he says, unfortunately, the people who hate America on the left, and this embraces so much of the Democratic Party these days, have conducted a 50, 60-year attack on Christianity in this country. 
Well, you know, Christianity was used to justify slavery, remember? The Mormons said that the mark of Cain was blackness. And, and, the, and the sales pitch by the, by the slave owners, the people who enslaved people, was, oh, you know, just, just pray to Jesus, and when you're all done picking the cotton and you eventually die of exhaustion, you'll go to paradise. Anyhow, back to David Horowitz. Unfortunately, the people who hate America on the left, and this embraces so much of the Democratic Party these days, have conducted a 50-, 60-year attack on Christianity in this country. They've driven prayer and religion out of the schools. The Democratic Party wants to do away with the Senate. They don't understand where our freedoms come from or what their nature is. Do away with the Senate? Where do our freedoms come from? Well, it turns out that Mike Pompeo has some thoughts on that. Mike Pompeo is trying to create a new Human Rights Commission that will only certify rights that came from, quote, natural law and natural rights. Now, this is code language that's been used by, by homophobes and bigots and racists for years and years and years to say that women should not have equal position with men because the Bible doesn't specify that. That gay people should be, and you know, the whole variety of LGBT people should be, should be basically not just persecuted, but prosecuted because of a, a couple of verses in the Bible. Honest to God, the Secretary of State this week formally announced Mike Pompeo, former right, you know, Tea Partier, uh, you know, in, in the House of Representatives, elevated to Secretary of State. Only slightly brighter than the stupidest president we've ever had. Formally announced the creation of a commission on unalienable rights. He says that human rights advocates, he's specifically condemning the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights from the, U from the United Nations. He says human rights advocates have created new categories of rights that blur the distinction between unalienable rights and ad hoc rights granted by government. Our commission will ground our discussion of human rights in America's founding principles. What were America's founding principles? Oh, yeah. Women are property of their husbands. They can't own land. They can't own property. They can't own anything. They can't sue in court. Um, they, you know, if, they, if their husband dies, they get assigned a, a, a basically an owner, a keeper, who gets to take a third of their husband's estate and who can decide whether they get to keep their children and, if so, what religion they're raised in. This was the law in the United States right up until the, you know, the early 1900s. And slavery? I mean, this, this is... Meanwhile, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Theresa May, a conservative, came out and said, the Prime Minister's view is that the language Donald Trump used to refer to these women, the squad, was completely unacceptable. Another British politician called it 1950s racism straight from the White House. First Minister of Scotland said the President of the United States telling elected politicians to go back to other countries is not okay and diplomatic politeness should not stop us from saying so loudly and clearly. Mayor of London says, I've heard it from racists and fascists, never from a mainstream politician. This is the Tom Hartman Program. What is the impact of Trump sweeping Americans into his concentration camp? What is the impact of the right-wing takeover of our media and our government? Axios noting one influential Democrat told me Trump had achieved a tactical win, stoking his own base and the Democrats' internal tension. 
quote, his view is that he simply cannot go too far. That line doesn't exist. Trump allies said he believes the more he puts the squad front and center, the better his reelection chances get. The squad, of course, being four women, bing for the misogynists, of color, bing for the racists, one of whom is an immigrant, bing for the nativists. And this is at the same time that the Democratic Party is, or many voices in the Democratic Party, are talking about things that really crank the freakout factor among Trump's base, among the white racist base. And once again, keep in mind, about 40% of the electorate of, of registered voters are Democrats, and about 40% are Republicans, and about 20%. It's actually slightly less than that. It's in the 30s, but um, you get the point. And, the, and, the, and, the, and then there's this 20% in the middle who, who um, you know, don't, don't identify. They call themselves independents. But of that 40% base, about half of them don't vote in most elections. So you have a choice. You can turn out your base, or you can go for the people in the middle to get elected. And the Republicans have been running base strategies. You know, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. The Republicans have been running base strategies since Reagan. And the Democrats have been running centrist strategies since Clinton. And it's working out well for the Republicans and not well for the Democrats. So now the Democrats are, are starting to move toward their base. And, you know, a good chunk of the Democratic base are, well, the Democratic base made up of, of white people who actually understand the ideals and notions of this country and believe in a pluralistic society. And, and, and here's the problem, right? Uh, you, you use polysyllabic words like pluralistic and, and you lose the Trump voters, right, you know, from the get-go. Um, but in any case, let's say reasonable white voters, African-Americans, particularly African-American women, show, show up to vote in large numbers. Now, to an extent, those numbers may be skewed because racist policing has incarcerated so many African-American men that in many states they simply, they simply can't vote. But in any case, African-Americans. Um, Hispanics, although most Hispanics are Catholic and many of them are relatively conservative when it comes to social issues, things like gay rights and abortion rights. And so the Republican Party is like trying to reach out to them and so the bottom line is right now, as, as Democrats are speaking more and more about we need to protect the rights of, of immigrants, the Trump administration changed the rules for who can appeal for asylum in the United States. And if you go to a country that you're fleeing from, to, if you go to another country before you come to the United States, in other words, if you leave Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and go to Mexico, then you can no longer apply for asylum in the United States. You have to stop first in the United States. Otherwise, you have to apply for asylum in Mexico. This is the new rule that Trump just put into place. It's literally going into effect today or tomorrow. And it's going to eliminate all these asylum seekers. 
So as the Democrats are talking about asylum and, and featuring women of color, the squad and people of color in general and, and having a diverse, uh, you know, male and female diversity as well, uh, set up the Republicans are going all white male all the time. Will it work for them? You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. At its core, is the United States electorate, or at least the white people in America, genuinely so racist that this strategy of Donald Trump's will work? You know, as we get older, one of the first signs is under eye puffiness, right? Sometimes crow's feet and things like that, some wrinkles. How do you deal with this stuff? You know, there's been home remedies and all kinds of stuff, you know, hemorrhoid creams and tea bags over the years. But none of them work. What works is Plexiderm. And I'm not talking about days and weeks to work. Plexiderm is clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates under eye bags and wrinkles from view in minutes. Did you hear that? In minutes. The science behind Plexiderm is incredible with the clinical studies to back it up. If you look older and tired because of crow's feet, wrinkles, or under eye bags, you can look younger in just minutes with Plexiderm. See for yourself. Watch a real video with real people and see how fast crow's feet, wrinkles, and under eye bags disappear. Those results are backed up by Plexiderm's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use the coupon code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get my discount. That's TryPlexiderm.com with the code TOM, T-H-O-M, or call one 800 685-1292, 1-800-685-1292, and mention Tom. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Some uh, Twitter responses. Speaking of the hive mind, (laughs) on my question, BJ Doucette says, yes, Tom, the U.S. is that racist. It makes me so sad to say it, too. Ricardo Minami uh, points out, uh, he says, Tom, keep in mind that the Dems haven't won the white vote majority since the 1960s civil rights laws which I don't know if that's exactly true, but I, you know, it certainly was true in the last election and probably is true. This is what Lyndon Johnson worried about. This is, you know, Bill Moyers has told that story more than once. Ed Mayfield says the melting pot has always considered just how dark your skin was before letting you into the boil. I'd say before deciding whether or not to let you into the boil. And Terry Halstead uh, asked the question, anyone else starting to see an uptake in tweet insults toward progressives? Trump's media summit must have unleashed the herd of 300-pound guys in basements. Watch for bot behavior and report them. Yeah, pretty bizarre. So let's pick up your phone calls here and get into this. Will in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Will, what's on your mind today? The short answer to your question, yeah, is this strategy sufficient to get the Republicans elected? Duh. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, That's easy. But I think a more important thing to talk about related to this as hard and extreme as it may sound, I really think that people that are are sickened by racism, we need to banish Republicans from our, our circle of life, we, we, and, and that includes family. And as hard as and as awful as that sounds, I don't think we have any choice because we we need to tell them very explicitly: you are not welcome in my life anymore. I'm not going to aid in your hate of this uh, and destruct, destruction of this country. I just can't do it anymore, and walk away and let them you know, ha- you know think it over. And and I know it's hard; it's real hard. But I I have actually done this, and it, it but I and my wife and I have done this. And we we just can't do this anymore because they're they're making us sick and are yeah. making our country sick. So yeah. anyway, that's fine. well. Your your two statements though, Will, are contradictory. Um, you know, you said uh, will racism help Republicans get elected? Yes. And then it, essentially, what you said was, will the Republican racism produce a strong backlash on the on the Democratic side that might prevent Republicans from getting elected because it's so strong that a lot of people will show up to vote. 
Um, I mean, I realize you didn't say it like that. In fact, you didn't even come close to saying that. But you just said in your personal life, you're willing to to push out Republicans. Um, that that says to me that you're you're cranked up enough that you'll probably vote. And so, you know, there's kind of two sides to this question is is Trump's racism and the entire Republican Party's tacit support of it, you know, in the Burkean you know, all it takes for evil to prevail is for good men to say nothing or do nothing. Um, is, is Trump's racism going to get him elected on the one hand? Or on the other hand, is Trump's racism going to cause people who are opposed and, and not just racism, racism, misogyny, I mean, bigotry, let's say broadly. Or is that going to cause enough people like you and me? Well, probably you and I have always voted, but, you know, people, people of our uh, broad perspective who typically don't vote to get energized and cranked up and show up and vote. In other words, might this actually be a strategy that locks him into a a little tiny base that um, is going to guarantee huge losses for the Republican Party in 2020? I think that's I think that's a question that hasn't been really thoroughly tested yet. And I think we need to we need to test it. We we, we need to we need to finally find out if this country can can be. Well, we'll find out in 15 or 16 months. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It's scary. It's really scary. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Brent in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, Brent, what's up? I think that racism definitely helped get him elected, but everyone also overlooks the fact that Clinton didn't campaign in three states. And I think in Michigan, she lost by an average of three votes in each precinct. So, like, I would hope that moving forward that it definitely uh, – equivocates to a loss for the Republican Party to where it, it's like, oh, wow, like they can't win an election anymore. But 2016 racism. kind of implies that with the Democratic wins, but the Republicans did hold the Senate. Yeah. And hopefully moving forward, like a lot of Republicans are starting to walk away again. And if to speak on racism, are you familiar with Jane Elliott? Boy, that name sounds familiar, but I'm not sure why. She's an educator. She's an older white lady with short uh, hair. And what she does is she usually does an exercise where she separates people by eye color. Oh, those studies happened in the 60s, the the original set of studies on that. And where they where they told the kids that, uh, you know, blue eyes were superior or brown eyes were superior and et cetera. And and suddenly social orders in the in the classroom literally changed. And when they were done with their little experiment, they couldn't unchange many of them. Yes. And uh, I think that uh, it's it's easy to invoke the the racism demon, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like um, and I believe I have a a really good solution to it. Uh, Not very many people listen to it, but. Um, if we want this country to be better and move forward and progress like we all want it to, you got to start teaching critical thinking in junior high and carry it out through high school so that Amen. the vast majority of Americans uh, aren't exposed to critical thinking if they choose to take that class in college. Yeah. I, I think, frankly, you can teach cri- critical thinking to anybody probably over nine or ten years old. Um, and yeah. maybe it should start in fourth or fifth grade rather than in 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 high school. Junior you know? high. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, a but, lot of pu- go ahead. A lot of pushback I get on it is like, how are you going to teach kids these complex things? And it's like, well, you don't teach them the complex things at first. You just teach them what a fallacy is, so that they can recognize, uh, you know, a logical fallacy when they hear it. Right. And exactly. our voting system is a logical fallacy. 
for the most part, either A or B, you know. Um, it would be nice if we had maybe four parties or five parties and yeah. there was a little bit more choice. That, you know? unfortunately, what what is necessary to make that happen would be... Um you know, either proportional representation, which re- require a change in the Constitution, or instant runoff voting, which is something that both the parties uh, don't like because that'll bring third and fourth parties in. But I, you know, yeah. and that's a whole other conversation. But Brent, thank you. Your your thoughts are, uh, you know, uh, well considered, and and I appreciate them. Thank you, Leonard in South Pasadena, California. Hey, Leonard, what's up? When you talk about is Mr. Trump's racism going to get him reelected, his racism got him elected in the first place. Let's not lose sight of that first. Secondly, his Gevault campaign, and that's G-E-V-A-L-T, which is very similar to what Benjamin Netanyahu did in uh, Israel earlier this year, has started in earnest. And oh, hang I on, just say Gevault. This is a word I've never heard before. Or is it is it a noun? Or a, I mean, what is what is Gevault? Yeah, it's a noun. It, it's G-E-V-A-L-T. It's also, uh, it can also be spelled G-E-V-A-L-D. And, and what does it mean? Basically, it, it, it basically means where a political figure is demonizing another group uh-huh. okay. uh, in, order to, in order to be elected. Right. Uh, and this is, there, there are variations on this. You've often talked about the Southern strategy. Sure. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is a similar thing. You cannot, listen, Tom. There is, a lot of people don't realize that the Star Spangled Banner has a third verse that very few people know that basically glorifies the death of slaves. Yep. There are the Statue of Liberty on her white foot. There is a chain that is literally hidden under the draperies. It's a broken shackle that lies at the statue's right foot, and it disappears beneath the draperies only to reappear at the front of her left foot. The end leak broken. As a result, the statue was not a symbol of democratic government or enlightenment ideals for African Americans, but rather a source of pain. This hmm. is what this country is. That's what this is. And Donald Trump knows how sexy it is to the people that vote for him. And I got to tell you something. I hope it doesn't happen, but I am girding my loins for a second Donald Trump term. And he's going to really go nuts then because that's why he stacked the Supreme Court the way he has. I want to say one more thing. I have heard all day long political pundits talking about Donald Trump is dividing the country. Donald Trump is not dividing the country. I am so sick of hearing this. Donald Trump is a reflection of this country. And if this country doesn't like what it sees, they need to throw his ass out. And that's not going to happen because that's how he got there in the first place. You can't sell hamburgers to people that don't like hamburgers. And I'm done. Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right, Kenyatta. And I think that what Donald Trump is showing, I, I don't think he's a reflection of the country, but he's a reflection of probably at least half of the white electorate. And Tom, do you realize that everyone talks about Barack Obama and a lot of people like to take credit for that? But you do realize that that, uh, Barack Obama got less than uh, half of the white vote. I realize that. I know. As did Hillary Clinton. Kenyatta, thank you. Always good to hear from you. Thank you very much. I learned a new word today. And welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's up in the world. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is Bob Nay, author of Sideswiped, former Ohio congressman. Bob, what's happening in the world today that we need to know about? Well, I wanted to mention something about yesterday and everything that's happened. I think that the president fully intended to say what he said, including 
the fact that he knew, of course, that three of the four did not come from a foreign country. He knew where they came from. And I think that was all completely calculated. I believe that he wants to boil this down to a fight between he and, quote, the squad, specifically. Oh, yeah, he's making himself Superman, and he's making them Lex Luthor. Right, and then he wants to join them to Nancy Pelosi and the Full House's, quote, one group. And I say that because right now, if he continues to do this, I think this is not the end of outrageous statements that you will see on race. I don't believe it's the end of it. I think it's just the start, actually. At all. And it's because now he's able to take the 2020 campaign into a campaign of Donald Trump versus, quote, socialists. And as Lindsey Graham, I don't know who he was calling communists, but he called somebody communists. And so President Trump is going to continue to make statements so that he will be able to put aside, basically, the Democratic candidates for president and make this his media-controlled fodder with the squad and Nancy Pelosi. And then that way he takes a bit of a political vacuum cleaner to the Democratic candidates to keep himself central. And, of course, he's trying to get his evangelical vote up also. Yeah, the white evangelicals. Yeah. Right. I just found it fascinating. The question, Bob, is do you think that this is a winning strategy? Well, I think right now what it is, let me put it this way, it's a temporary winning strategy right now to hold some of the base, to deflect things that are out there against him, to deflect potential Mueller statements. It's all a deflection, right? right? And it's also him controlling, not letting the Democratic candidates have the front run of the media right now. So, Or Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. And I stress this temporary because this is not a good long-term strategy. And in fact, as this continues to rot, as I'll call it, with racial statements, etc., you will start to see Republicans peel off from the president. And on the long term, that's not good. So maybe he's getting a short-term gain. I really don't think it's but a good But some of them are just, strategy. I mean, I saw on CNN this morning, John Kennedy, the Republican senator from Louisiana, say, well, I don't think those tweets were racist. I don't think Trump is a racist. I mean, the chorus is starting to sing. I think these guys are all terrified of what happened to Bob Corker and Jeff Flake. Well, they are in a sense, but I think if this continues on, at some point in time, it will not be a good strategy for the president. And I still think that some of the Republicans will begin to peel off. Only four did, and I fully understand that. And one of the reasons they were able to kind of hold together, they were using AOC, let's face it, as a lightning rod. Well, and not only that, of the four that peeled off, correct me if I'm wrong, I've only seen one story on this. Two of them are not running for re-election, and one was African-American, Will Hurd, out of Texas. Correct. You know, a person of color. So basically one Republican (laughs) apparently was willing to stand up to him, and maybe he's not planning on running either. I don't know. Right. They're all looking at what happened to Justin Amash and going, "Uh uh-oh. True. That's true. And so it might be a short-term gain. I still think if this continues in the long term, people will tire of it. Yeah. Then you got Steve Scalise, who when he was running for Congress in Mississippi, was it, I think, said that he was David Duke without the hood. Uh, Correct. (laughs) You know, and he's saying, oh, well, we always respected Obama. It's incredible. Anyhow, Bob Nate, Congressman, thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.